Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 477. Ever since Royal Caribbean revealed Icon of the Seas just about a month ago, there's been a lot of hype and excitement about this brand new ship. And today, we have an exclusive interview with Royal Caribbean Senior Vice President and Chief Product Innovation Officer, Jay Schneider, who's going to walk us through the big reveal of Icon of the Seas, what they've got planned coming up, and even take a look at the future of the Icon class. Here we go. So we're sitting here with Jay Schneider, who's the Chief Product Innovation Officer for Royal Caribbean Group. Jay, welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Very excited to talk to you about Icon. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff that's been happening in the last gosh, a couple weeks now, right? I mean, has it even been a month since the big reveal? It has not been a month since the big reveal. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, the beauty of a ship like this is we're going to keep revealing month after month after month. So there's uh, exciting stuff we haven't talked about yet. Well, let's talk about the reveal in itself, because yep. obviously you guys have been very tight-lipped about this. Congratulations. That was quite an accomplishment to keep it this was. tight-lipped for such a long time. Talk to me about the reveal and what were your thoughts after the reveal in terms of the public a reaction to it what's what surprised you what were you happy to see that people were happy about um i so i was happy about a, a couple of different things one is we were really thoughtful about how we did the reveal not just that we were tight-lipped about it mm. and i should say my nine-year-old daughter was read in early in the process and was very upset that she wasn't allowed to tell people about it <laughs> um but the um just the way we took people through the reveal i was pretty excited about because you all got to see it through how we think about it day in and day out um, in our lab space in our design space and so I, that was a fun way to do the reveal and talk about spaces um, and then as we went public with it the response has been overwhelming um, there have been newsprints of some of this that was the fastest we ever sold a ship the fastest um, the best book position by a ship at this point from a social media and media buzz. It's been the best product launch we've ever had. So it's been a home run success. Um, and I think that's part uh, and parcel of the um, way we did the reveal, how far we held it back, and then how amazing the product is. And as you know, we've shared great assets. People get, and we're holding some things back, sure. as you know, painfully. Um, <laughs> but we're, but people are really excited about what they're seeing. And so, how we told the story, I think we did a really great job of. I want to talk to you about, you know, in the reveal, you mentioned um, in one of the preview videos your team talked about. I think actually you might have mentioned it was that this is a white paper ship. Yeah. And you were looking at it from that aspect of it. So. How long ago did you start working on what to include, and when do decisions get made on things like, you know, the neighborhoods? Like, tell us about the the breadth of time that that we're talking that encompasses really when we you're really sitting down with a piece of white paper versus what we saw here in the uh, you know the end of 2022. Yeah, it's uh, about six years ago is when you could kind of go back in time. There's a little bit of time before that as we think of kind of the contracting process around it. But really, from a white paper research perspective, you're, you're going back in time about six years. The pandemic didn't stop the work. It slowed it a bit um, and created certain challenges, as you can imagine, um, uh, with people going home worldwide. And it, it created slowdown and challenges for us, right? Um, but the process about six years ago, the decision process for us is, I want to... It's going to sound weird to say never ending. Um, you go through a, a great design process. Um, we've got in our new build organization um, excellent architects and designers um, with partners in the yard who really are focused on the, the kind of um, 
nautical marine side of some of the innovation that we're trying to do. Um, you had uh, like the Pearl is a good example of something that we had um, design concepts for about four or five years ago. Um, and so it, it's been a very iterative process, okay. uh, which you wouldn't naturally think of in a new ship. Um, um, but, you know, certain things get locked in early. So the master plan, the you know, kind of the, where the um, major venues are get locked in very early in that process. We reserve a lot to iterate. Um, so, uh, you know, Thrill Island came together in the last two years mm. uh, in many ways, including the water park. So if you think of like steel structure locking early, that still gives you a lot to iterate on and, and ideate on. Um, and then we also keep certain venues, what we call as white, pa or, uh, white spaces. Okay. And white spaces allow us to iterate even further into the process. And so uh, there's a couple white space restaurants that we just finished design of maybe, maybe a month ago. Mm -hmm. um, and then that will get, they'll flow into the development process. Does that allow you to be a little more flexible in terms of between now and the launch that if some trend, cool idea comes out that you're able to basically, oh, let's take out idea X and replace with idea Y. Is that how that works? That's right. Um, in some cases, uh, it was taking the original concept and developing a new concept. In other cases on Icon, it was um, Sugar Beach, for example, was actually not even going to be, was going to be a completely different type of experience and we didn't like where we were going. Okay. And so we pivoted. And so it gives us flexibility to work through details. Interesting. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, you know, you said about Icon, and I'm going to quote you, Icon will be the best family vacation in the world, end quote. Yes. Uh, that's a bold statement. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not a hyperbole. That's not kind of, sort of. That is, you're going right for the jugular on that one. Um, I mean, it's an incredibly high bar to hit. What, tell me, talk to me about what, how you confident, you seem very confident every time you say it. You don't kind of hint at it. You don't, you don't squint. No, not at all. And notice we didn't say cruise in the world. Correct. We said vacation in the world. Yes. Um, I, I believe, and I would say we believe, we have created the best family vacation uh, in the world um, that could compete with anything else you're going to go do. I've said this, I don't know if I've said this to you or others before, I, I've got young kids. I don't want to take away that moment my kid gets to see Mickey Mouse for the first time. I want people, parents to go experience it, do that. I, I worked there. I, that's a moment that everybody who has kids should go do. Um, besides that, um, moment that we don't want to steal or replicate. Um, I would say that as you think of the total vacation experience, uh, and you look at the product that we've we've been showing folks, including what I see that we haven't been showing folks, we really have, and it'll come to life in programming and menus and the the delivery of entertainment that we're so amazing at. When you look at the totality of that, um, and you look at the destinations we're going to visit, the product on board the ship. It will absolutely be the best family vacation on the planet. Wow. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it, certainly. as Again, as a parent, yeah. I am also looking forward to, to seeing that. Um, on the other side of the, the scale, you have... I'm going to remember that, Matt. Matt and um, after you sail with your family, not on like a press version where sure. you're you know running around looking at everything, but when you actually take your kids and the, and you, and you're, the four of you go and enjoy an amazing vacation, we'll do a quick survey at the end and you let me know okay. if we... If we, uh, we jumped that bar or we, we leaped over that bar. Spring Break 24, already booked. Spring so we'll Break 24, there you go. There you go. Um, on the other side of the, the scale, you've also got, obviously, the adults-only stuff. Um, and the solarium is something that's missing on the uh, icon of the seas. There is, of course, Cloud 17. But um, 
what would you tell traditionalists that you know point out that there isn't a solarium so it's not an enclosed area um what do you tell them about the adult only space and that what would be your response to you know people who are concerned that there isn't a solarium on board yeah um so it's not missing it's purposely not there. Okay. Um, and that's because other things are, we decided as we went through the process. Um, and our process is not just us in a vacuum, it's research with guests. Uh, and we felt really good that as we looked at the kind of the needs that guests have from a solarium perspective, we researched that. We actually brought in um, both qualitative and quantitatively um, guests uh, from a, a, a blind survey as well as actually guests under NDA. Um, to really understand their basic needs in the solarium, um, to make sure that as we designed new spaces and as we as we program spaces, that we were delivering and or over delivering um, their needs. And so between Cloud 17, which is our adult only space, between the hideaway, which is going to be a really great kind of beach party DJ vibe, um, and and while not adult only, will likely program more adult centric. Sure. Um, and the Overlook Lounge inside of the Aquadome, the three of those together far over index what we think kind of a equivalent solarium experience would be. Sure. And then my last thing I would say is, you know, you see this, we don't, our, all of our ships and classes of ships are not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that for a very purposeful reason. We want you to sail Icon of the Seas. We also want you to sail Oasis of the Seas and Wonder of the Seas and Radiance of the Seas. And so the diversity of product for us is really important, um, which is why we do have some traditional things. We also have evolved things. And in this case, the ship has, you know, 26 new to brand experiences, 23 new F&B venues. And so that blend for us um, is really important. So one of the things you've talked about a lot, uh, and I'm going to go back to the Cloud 17 example for a second, because in the previous conversation, not part of this recording, but you mentioned uh, that you had done some uh, research, some some uh, research with uh, guests, I believe, yep. and you went through some like you know, do you like you know, it's like the the eye doctor, A or B, you know, is this better? Is that better? Right? And what do you think about this idea? Yep. And that kind of led you towards class seventeen. Is that a fair assessment? Um, no, I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it led us to cloud seventeen. Okay. We wanted a open deck, uh, fun in the sun, adult centric space, um, and going through the journey, we. We check everything, um, and so in checking everything, that was one of the things that we went down the journey on. What are the needs that people had in a solarium-esque experience or an open deck, a deck experience? Um, and so we use that knowledge to help kind of fact check the experiences that we we're building along the way. Sure. And I don't know that based on that, I don't think we've made a lot of adjustments. There are other areas of the ship where, like I said earlier, we had a reservation where Sugar Beach is going. We just didn't like where we're going. We made a, a big pivot. Um, I would say that we didn't do that um, with our kind of those three venues that I mentioned. So I guess let me that my question about Cloud Seventeen is leading me to a larger question about okay. your your approach to market research. You know, guests tell you. I think that's been something you've talked about yeah. a lot. That guests tell you X or Y or yep. Z. Um, how much of it? You know, this, I'm going to give you a sports analogy, right? Uh, when you have a, uh, an athlete who is uh, who's participating on the uh, collegiate level and is looking to go pro, you know you can have all the analytics in the world that can show whether or not this athlete is going to be a good player or not, right? And that there's some certain, um, you know, ultimately that doesn't dictate whether or not they're actually a good player or not. Right? Exactly. There's certain X factors. Some yep. great, some of the greatest players didn't 
were never top of their class. Tom Brady, great example of that. He was not a number one draft pick, right? Yep, that's right. Um, so kind of going back to that, are there things in the, in the maritime industry, cruise industry, that, you know, are like, you know, something might look good on paper, but also like, you you know, you've got obviously a, a, a wonderful breadth of experience. Um, Harry Colavari, you've got Michael Bailey, who worked on cruise ships. I mean, a, an incredible amount of, of experience yeah. there. Are there things that, you know, kind of, I don't say fly in the face of traditional views of cruising, but, you know, kind of, you have to like bridge that gap almost. It's like way, well, the market research says this, but traditionally we've seen that. And how do you approach that yeah, with Icon? I think it's a great question. Um, and it's a complicated question because uh, I'll give you a different analogy. And this is a story from when I was at Disney. And I don't, I can't attribute the story, but it gives you kind of direction, right? Okay. Um, when uh, Walt Disney Imagineering sought to create um, Tower of Terror, they didn't do a guest focus group and say, what do you want? And people said, we want Tower of Terror, mm -hmm. right? What they did is they did research about um, what are the types of experiences people want. And then a creative process cr learned from that that said, well, wait a minute, we're looking for, you know, uh, dark ride thrill. Yep. Okay, well, that isn't how you get to Tower of Terror. You go through a very extensive creative process. And in doing so, you have amazing creative people who help bring that to, to bear. Same thing here. Yep. Um, we use guest research to help us to shape where we're going. Okay. It's not the answer um, at a macro level. Um, and we have. We have Michael Bailey who, who oozes brand DNA. He, he's the, he's the uh, epitome of our brand at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. We've got Harry and his team from a design and, and maritime, a nautical maritime you know, excellence perspective. We've got Richard Fain who uh, has had a big influence on, on this as well sure. and pushes us pushes an innovation mantle for us uh, forward. Jason, uh, our CEO, pushing innovation mantle for us. Um, and then all of us in a leadership level and the, the, organi the vast organization we have all help in that creative process. Um, at a micro level, research can help us in very targeted ways. And it also doesn't mean we listen to it. So um, after you're sailing <laughs> and after we're in market, I'll share some examples of things that um, we've tested that consumers didn't like, but we're still doing. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean we're doing it exactly as we think they answered the question. We're going to tweak it a little bit, and sure. we think we can far over index of what we think we heard in that research. But there is a bunch of examples where they, they may not like something or they may question it. Um, and our job is to design or build or create something unexpected on top of that. I think that's the other piece that is part of the formula. Um, if you were to throw a bunch of people in a room and ask them about the name Utopia of the Seas, some of them would love it, some of them would hate it, some yep. of them would be scratching their head. Yep. Um, uh, it's unexpected. Sure. And as a brand that, that really is the most innovative brand in the world, yep. at least I think we are, um, part of the reason you're able to maintain that innovation mantle is doing things that are unexpected. Sure. Um, and really, and, and, f and leaning into that, right? I didn't need a consumer study to say if I put acrylic on the edge of a lotus leaf, it'll feel like the uh, raft is about to slide off the side of the ship. Right. But in the design process, we said, well, wait a minute, couldn't we hype up the fun if it, we put acrylic there? And rather than, you know, some of the, our, our water slides, you see acrylic in places that don't quite make sense. Yep. And there was this belief, if you put it there, it would be a viewing experience for everybody else. And I remember sitting to me and going, well, who, who the hell cares? Like, it's not about the person watching who's not doing it. It's about amping the fun and experience for the person in the ride. 
And so you actually won't find viewing acrylic on Icon. You'll find only thrill acrylic on Icon at moments that really are meant to scare people. Makes sense. So, You mentioned Utopia, and I wanted to actually, I thought of a question. So obviously Icon is the first of at least three Icon-class ships. Yep. Uh, while I don't think you're ready to give us the names of the other two, uh, although feel free. Um, <laughs> We're still we're still naming uh, two and three. So if you have any ideas, I'll, I'll happily solicit ideas. Good. I'm That's on good. this. I actually um, I had to post a security guard uh, on the um, uh, hotel conference going on because I did votes of names from our from our hotel uh, and captains. So I've been soliciting feedback from people. <laughs> I don't want anybody to see what that was what that was all about. So I wanted to ask you though. I, I know you have very. Um, strong beliefs on certain things of, of cruises and what they should do and I know that as an example uh, you were very stringent on the big the big name on the side of the hull yeah that was that was your I'll call it your baby for, for yeah. lack of a better word so let me ask you this on a, on a general if you, you're not committed obviously to a name yet yeah but how do you feel about the naming of a class this is a new class icon class that the names should be related icon of, like let's go back the freedom class is very related the quantum class not so much yeah it's um uh and Oasis is kind of a little different, right? right. They're, they're all they've all gone through their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, naming a ship is is terribly hard. <laughs> um, it's hard for a couple reasons. One, um, you know, there's lots of words in the English uh, dictionary. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of legalese that has to get wrapped into the right word. There's a lot of history in certain words, both positive and negative. Um, there's future negative in words that we have to think about. Sure. And so we go through a really exhaustive filtering process. Um, we have uh, looked at, I would say, every word in the English dictionary and every word in other dictionaries as well, other, other multilingual dictionaries, and gone through a, a winnowing process. Hmm. We also need to save names for future vessels. So um, if we ever build an Oasis 7, mm-hmm. it will need a name. And so we're also thoughtful about blocking for future vessels as well. Hmm. Um, we had named certain. We had named obviously Icon uh, with the class, and so that one was pretty evident. When we went to Utopia, we were thinking about future Oasis class. We were thinking about the evolution of Icon two and three. If we build future classes of ships, we may be reserving certain names for future classes of ships that we're dreaming up. And so, in that entire process, um, sometimes you run into a freedom, uh, independence sort of kind of natural synergy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a little bit easier when you're when you only build so many. Right. Um, as you build far beyond, like the Oasis class, that synergy gets really hard. And so you you saw kind of what I would call sister pairing in the Oasis class: Oasis sure. Allure, Harmony Symphony. Symphony. Yep. Um, we're now on Wonder and Utopia, and you could you could draw a circle around the two of those and say they're kind of um, in the same sort of aspirational ball ballpark. Sure. Um, and so as we think of Icon. We've gone down a really fun and complicated journey. Like, could we have only four-letter I words? Well, there aren't that many four-letter I words in that are out there that we could put. You know, yeah. could we? What are words that mean iconic? Right. So right. you go through that natural creative process, um, and uh, we also look back at former names we've had um, on vessels sure. um, that we think are kind of live up to. So we've looked at literally everything. Yeah. Um, and I'm still taking, you know. Uh, ideas on Icon 2 and Icon 3. So uh, less than Icon 3. Actually, I feel really confident in the name we have for Icon 3. Okay. Uh, it's actually 2 that 
we're still working on. Which so you, is you a little backwards. To, you skip to Return of the Jedi, and you're still not sure about that's The right. Empire Strikes that, Back. That's yeah. exactly right. <laughs> the, um, and, and would you, again, this is just Jay's opinion, I'm not saying this is the yep. Royal Caribbean Guide. Um, you know, former names, you know, Sovereign, Empress, yeah. Monarch, do you think those would be, if are those in play? Are those in the realms of possibilities? Think, in your personal opinion? Again, this is just, you know, um, I, I might lead the team that does this work, but sure. we get feedback from the entire brand leadership team. Michael weighs in. It's a pretty exhaustive process. Yeah. Um, I was very passionate about Utopia, so I'm glad we landed on Utopia. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know that any name mm-hmm. is uh, in our past uh, off limits. Okay. Uh, at least for me. Um, and then it has to feel like it fits with the ship that we're creating. Sure. Right. So it shouldn't just be that it's part of our history. Some things part of our history should stay part of our history. Some things that are part of our history maybe exited the fleet in a certain way should stay that way. Yeah. Um, in other cases, um, it it may fit where we want to go. Um, and so. Old names are never uh, off. I know other cruise lines do that too. Yeah. Um, I don't know that they go through that same purposeful thought process. I just okay. I honestly don't know. I'm not picking on yeah. them. Um, but it's it's there's no reason not to consider those. Sure. You know, you said uh, also that when you when you set out with Icon to build Icon design Icon, I should say that you didn't necessarily go out saying we're going to build the largest cruise ship in the world. Yeah, not at all. However, um, <laughs> with the Oasis class, they've always been a little bit bigger. To move, you know, to, to you know, each one has been sequentially a little bit bigger to take the new title of the world's ship, largest yeah. cruise ship. Do you have any thoughts on Icon Two Three continuing that trend? Do you look at um, because these ships are on order, Icon yep. Two and Three? Um, should we? Is that a probability, a possibility, unlikely? Well, I think the first thing is I think we're going to keep just to mess with you the order book to say two hundred thousand <laughs> GT. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, I. Uh, on, I don't know yet. I mean, um, uh, in the case of Icon uh, 2, um, we haven't started, you know, we're, we're doing um, construction in some ways already started. Sure. Um, and by that I mean when we built um, the Crown and Anchors, we didn't actually build two crown and anchors we built four crown and anchors hmm. um, because it was just more efficient and cost effective to do that and we weren't really trying I mean they're they're obviously going to be the biggest crown and anchors we weren't trying to have them be even bigger on Icon 2 um, that's true for the dive towers so the dive towers for the aqua th- uh, theater were, were built in, in pairs and so there's some components that are built the complete steel structure hasn't hasn't been fully um, uh, blocks haven't been fully started yet and hmm. so um, you'll have to wait and see if two and three get bigger okay. a little bit more. Who knows? Okay. Um, you know, you've got Icon, Utopia, Amplified cruise ships as well that, that made it in the program. Um, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about the Amplification program in just a bit. But, I mean, are you ever worried that with now the Icon class and, and these all these other ships I just talked about, that the other ships in the fleet are being left behind to some extent in terms of look and feel? Because from a consistency standpoint... You've got these commercials that show off Icon, Wonder, Odyssey, you name it, right? And it's wonderful. But you've got some ships that don't quite match up necessarily. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm looking at the Vision and the, and the Radiance class there. What are your thoughts on, on a guest experience, how that correlates together? My first thing would be, why do you have to pick on Vision and Radiance? They're great <laughs> ships. Um, but you'll notice they, they're not competing on a seven-night 
Caribbean, you know, uh, with Icon or Utopia or one of those ships, right? Okay. Um, they are great destination-rich itinerary ships. That's why we use them in the Mediterranean, Alaska, and the Baltics, um, in the South Pacific. Um, and so even though we have a growing fleet of mega ships, mm-hmm. you find those on mega ship appropriate sort of itineraries. Uh, we also have a, you know, it's a big brand. There's a lot of really great kind of medium sized um, ships that, that perform really well for us. Um, and we're thoughtful about the upkeep of them. Um, and as you saw us go through that amplification process, um, you saw us amplify in a very way certain targeted ships. Sure. We stopped that program. We hope to pick that program back up. It's just a priority of how we, you know, as we restart, as we've restarted our business, um, we will eventually get back to amplification of ships. I'm hopeful that this ship that we're on right now um, will be next up in that program, but it's kind of a wait and see. Yeah. Um, uh, but. The Vision and Radiance class are great ships. We're right. doing great itineraries. They're they're very profitable for us. Guests they rate really well, um, and we're really thoughtful about how they age. Um, now that may not be a full amplification for them, mm-hmm. um, but they serve a kind of very specific purpose for us in our in our our, our brand. Sure. So that uh, we talked about the amplification program, and you said that you know you're still. There's many, there's many moving parts in the company as you're getting back up on your feet, so to speak, sure. and, to, and to move up there. How would you, if, if a guest asks, you know, what can we expect, you know, from a, from uh, an alert, explore the amplification program? I mean, is it fair to say that this is just a matter of finances, and that when the company feels more financially better, or, that's not the right word, but you know, what I mean? we financially feel financially better. great. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, as you saw in our last earnings call, we feel really good about our position right now and where we're at. Um, and so it's it's not about that specifically, but as you've heard from Jason and Naftali and Michael and Lisa and others, we're very thoughtful about where we're putting um, our capital investments right now. Okay. Um, and so our new build program continues at, at uh, full pace where we're building back capital in a very careful way and measured way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're gonna see us have what I would call micro amplifications Okay. And then we'll get back to bigger amplifications um, as as time moves on. Uh, the other thing working in and against us is always dry dock timing. Hmm. And so as we pause certain things, restarting still requires us to match up dry dock time. Um, and so I, I think, you know, as you as you see us go into next year, the year 23, 24, 25, and 26, you'll, you'll slowly see us start to get some of that formula right and, and return to some of that work. Speaking of capital projects, uh, one that we know is still working, um, uh, progressing, is the um, Hideaway Beach Club at Perfect Day at Coco Key. Yep. And I noticed that in the press release it was mentioned um, as part of the, almost in, co- in conjunction with the launch of Icon and and that uh, over there. So can we, any update on the timeline? I, what last time, when last we spoke, you had mentioned end of 2023 as the, as kind of that timeline for that I think that's a, still our target. Our target is still the end of 23. 23 goes till, you know, midnight Hawaiian time on uh, December 31st. <laughs> Karabati. Yeah, that's yeah. right. By the way, uh, yeah, whatever the furthest, you know, U.S. Uh, it's um, uh, our target is still the end of 23. Construction has started. Um, we've got our um, environmental clearance uh, with the Bahamian government a couple weeks ago. Okay. And so we've met the milestones that we have to go do. 
Um, we've been somewhat, I mean, we've talked about it being a, uh, an adult only experience. Um, that has been the second most requested thing that people want from us on the island. Um, and, you know, we haven't really shared what it is going to be yet um, or what the designs of it are mm -hmm. and the experiences that will be there. Um, I don't even think we've talked about the capacity of it yet. Um, so we've been a little bit tight lipped on it. Mm -hmm. uh, but feeling really good about it because we're not uh, it's not like it's um, questionable it, uh, we got clearance constructions actually started um, we've had construction crews on uh, coco uh, for a bit now um, and it's just a it's a process that, sure. that we have to go through and as guests sail in the um, coming kind of months they'll see that ramp up of construction pretty fast and um, and and progress slowly make so We'll hit a tipping point sometime in, I'll call it first half of 2023, and then we'll have to start sharing because people will, um, it's less about seeing it from the ship. The ship is still just far enough away that you wouldn't really see it. But as you get up the um, uh, two slide towers, you can see, you'll be able to see it come to life pretty fast. Sure. What do you want to see on Icon? Or what do you want to see on a future ship you haven't seen from us yet? I would love to see a a um a sandwich shop a sandwich sub, shop sub okay. i'm sub a shop. big fan of that i think that's yep. a good a pool deck kind of food yep it also comes back to the to the cabin it travels well yeah it's not a food that needs to be cooled down heated up yep wraps and walks easy yep. yeah that's a great idea I, I i would love to see something yeah. like that but um awesome yeah that's just something there but i mean icon looks amazing looking forward to seeing more information and uh it's it's all off to a great i mean the the excitement there is 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 Unbelievable. I mean, really, it's it's it's, it's I met, incredible. I think you and I met on Odyssey when we when we launched Odyssey, and um, I don't remember why, but somebody at the table was asking about um, uh, what I what is my favorite ship, and I had said at the time, Icon of the Seas is going to be my favorite ship, mm. um, and it wasn't just because I'm you know helping develop it, but but literally, as you saw and you continue to see, it's just a really special and amazing. Uh, well, it's going to be the best family vacation in the world. So, but it's just a special product. It really is. So I'm excited about it. Thank you, Jay. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Alrighty. Time to answer emails. This is the part of the episode where I dive into the email inbox and answer questions that you've asked me about Royal Caribbean. And we're going to start off with a question from Stuart Etheridge from the UK. I'm Matt. Firstly, just want to say that I continue to enjoy the fantastic podcast as I've done since my first cruise a few years ago. My partner and I have been on a bit of a break from cruising, largely because of the pandemic, and more lately because of the house move, but it's time to get back to it. So with that in mind, we booked Icon of the Seas for January 27th, sailing in 2024. Obviously, it's very early days to form opinions on this ship, but as the expert, what do you predict the highlights will be for us as former Oasis-class customers? We're super excited to see this incredible new vessel that much ashore. Give the incredible work, Matt, and thanks for all the hard work. Stuart, while I did not uh, plan your your question to be in this episode that has to do with Icon, I think you just heard for the last, I don't know, half an hour or so, all the cool things there. But I think at the heart of it, and I don't know, you know, as you mentioned, I don't know all the details yet, but I really believe that the Icon class will carry forward that tradition the Icon, the Oasis class ship started with in that it's going to bring just a lot of cool things. Royal Caribbean has steadily built its ships, you know, bigger and bigger. It's not just about size, but what you can do on board. And the Oasis class truly introduced this idea of just a plethora of cool things to do. A lot of activities, a lot of choices for you to do. And I think the highlights are going to be in those choices. I think a lot of people have already picked up on the fact that there's a number of different 
pool deck or outer deck areas that kind of appeal to them, whether it's Cloud 17 or the hideaway or Surfside with the kids or Thrill Island or Chill Island. There's a lot of cool places that have already attracted a lot of people. And I've just scratched the surface of that because there's still the Pearl Promenade. I mean, there's just a lot of cool areas. And I think that's really going to be the appeal of the ship is that if you really love the Oasis class, and then you're going to find the Icon class certainly taking that and moving it even a step further. So lots to do, lots of choices. And as I like to say here, you know, variety is the spice of life and having more choices is even better. Next email is from Peter. Hi, Matt. Last summer, we booked an Adventure of the Seas cruise out of Galveston, leaving Memorial Day 2023. Over the summer, we got an email letting us know that because of a change in speed regulation from the International Maritime Organization, Adventure was me swapped out for Voyager class sister ship, Voyager of the Seas. No big deal to us. They're nearly identical, but there must be some difference for Royal Caribbean to swap them out. How different are these Voyager class sister ships from the swapping out that makes a difference? And if they are that different, what allows the slower one, I guess we don't know which one, to keep sailing from based on what the direction is and regulation that they say. Final note, the five-night cruise leaving on Memorial Day priced at several hundred dollars cheaper for a family of four than the other weeks of the year. Not sure why it was cheaper, but I'll be keeping that in mind in future years and other listeners may want to as well. Thanks for feeding the cruising addiction. Peter, it's a great question. So this is something that if you have no idea what Peter's talking about, I kind of forgot about this myself. There was a series of itinerary changes that came out. Oh gosh, when was that, Peter? It was like... It was earlier this year, I want to say closer to the summertime, and I remember there were a number of sailings impacted primarily in Europe, but I guess this also affects you in Galveston, and the long and short of it was, it has something to do with speed restrictions, and I honestly don't understand the, the difference. Um, I don't pretend to be a maritime expert to know that why one ship is quote-unquote slower than another ship. I'm sure there is a great technical reason for it but I don't want to pretend to give you the advice that I don't particularly have. So it's just, th there's a reason for it. Technically speaking, I don't know exactly what it is, but you know, we'll have to figure out later on what that reason may be. It was something that I think I remember thinking, oh, I should probably ask somebody about that. And then it just kind of fell by the wayside because it was just like this one blip in the itineraries that, that came out there. Um, so all that being said, Really, the major difference you're going to find with Adventure versus Voyager, I mean, there, neither ship has amazing upgrades in them. Voyager of the Seas was actually amplified, believe it or not. But because Voyager of the Seas was in the Australian market at the time, for whatever reason, Royal Caribbean just didn't give her all the bells and whistles that Mariner and Navigator got. Adventure of the Seas was never formally amplified, but she did get some upgrades in, I believe it was 2016 and 2018, there was a hurricane in the middle there that kind of screwed things up there a little bit for them. But, you know, they got water slides, things of that nature. But it's not, again, to the same level of Mariner or Voyager. So the bottom line is, I think you're going to find them very comparable to each other. There'll be some differences between the two. But ultimately, I think you'll have a great time on Voyager. Next email is from Andrew. So I've had this question for a while. And this time I asked our dining room waiter how we're supposed to answer the question on the survey. And he really didn't understand my question. Quote, if you were asked to provide positive ratings, reviews on the survey, please identify the crew members that asked you. End quote. Is it a good thing if I select them or a bad thing? The fact that the survey specifically asks if they are asked to us to provide a positive rating is what confuses me. To me, I understand the value in finding out if they asked me to take the survey. So that is why in my head, the word positive seems important. But asking for a positive rating might be considered inappropriate slash self-serving since that's how they get promotions. Anyway, just curious your take on the question. Andrew, it's a good question. And your, your instinct is correct. What they're trying to figure out when you do the post-cruise survey, one of the questions they will ask you is, did any crew member ask you for, to provide positive ratings? And the reason why they're asking this is they don't want the 
crew members to basically be, I don't want to use the word begging, but strongly advising for a positive review is AKA trying to skew the results, right? Royal Caribbean uses the post-crew survey as one of their most important tools for evaluating cruise ships, uh, the experience, crew members, etc. It's just, I, I talk about this a lot, but like people often talk about how do you reward crew members on board a ship and certainly cash tips are nice, but if you really want them to advance their career, if you want them to, to do well with Royal Caribbean, a positive review in the survey goes a long way. Not only, you know, giving them, you know, maybe a, a 10 star review or whatever on the, in their area, but also recognizing them in the open text area. That's like the last question where you can say, you know, uh, my waiter so-and-so was really good in the dining room, something like that. Um, but what they don't want is people, crew members, you know, trying to be like, basically guilting you into positive reviews. So when they're asking you this, they're asking you, did anybody, you know, basically do that? Anyone say, you know, uh, something along the lines of, you know, if I don't get a, a full, a perfect score, we get fired or we, it, it's a bad review or it doesn't, it, it looks negatively on us, things like that, right? It's, it's okay though, if the crew member, you know, alerts you to the survey. A lot of people have no idea the survey is important because I'll be honest with you guys, most of the time when I get surveys from almost any other business out there, whether it's a restaurant, hotel, airline, I just ignore it. I delete the email and I, I never do the post surveys. It just doesn't matter to me. But for the crews, because I obviously recognize and understand the, the value of them, I do take those surveys. But um, for a lot of people, they have no idea about it. So the crew member alerting you that the survey exists and the survey is important is fine. I, I would not then answer, I would not answer yes to that question in the survey. But if they go a step further and say, you know, uh, if it's anything below a 10, it's a problem, or I need a 10 score, or please give me a 10 score, something like that, that's an issue. And in a lot of cases, I freely admit this can be a very fine line. When they start talking about the survey, I will listen intently to see if they're doing it. I won't say anything to them. It's not, I'm not, I'm not their dad. I'm not going to tell them what they should or shouldn't do here, but I will, you know, obviously then note it in the survey if that is the case. Generally speaking, most people who talk about the survey, most crew members that is, I found they just alert you to the fact the survey is there and it is important, which is totally fine. I think that's, that's a good idea. Um, I, I think the issue is just when you run into the crew members who, you know, basically tell you, by the way, you really should be getting a perfect score. Yeah, that can be an issue right there. So, Andrew, hopefully that answers your question for that. And let's move on to our next question. And it is from Renee. Good morning, Matt. Love your blog. Listen to it as a podcast. Thank you for posting there and all the great information you offer. We booked a family Alaska cruise on Ovation of the Seas departing June 30th, 2023. My husband and I are treating our 13 family members, which consist of seven adults and six kids ages 1 to 18. We have four balcony and one inside room booked. This will be my husband and mine third Alaska cruise. None of the rest have gone to Alaska before or been on any kind of cruise. Question number one. We've noticed that some of the excursions are up already and be booked. Even some appear to be sold out. In the past, we booked our excursions about four to five months out. When would you recommend we book our excursions? It's a really good question. And the answer is whenever you feel comfortable doing so. I mean, the good thing about Alaska is everything you see that Royal Caribbean offers, there's a ton of similar options on land that you can book on your own through third parties. So, um, you know, obviously number one, if you're looking to do tours, there isn't a wrong time to book a tour because there's no downside to booking it early. If the you know, tour goes on sale next week, okay, you can always cancel and rebook that tour through the cruise planner. There's no penalty for doing so. So um, generally speaking, I agree with you, Renee. I don't usually book my tours quite that far out. 
But as you're noticing, sometimes tours do come out and people do book them. And some tours can be very limited capacity, at least the Royal Caribbean. Again, if you found a tour that was amazing and, you know, it was sold out, you probably could find a very similar tour on your own by simply Googling it. Because let's face it, the tour operators in Alaska are pretty much offering the same tours to both Royal Caribbean ships, you know, cruise lines, as well as just to anybody who wants to book it. So um, it, uh -huh. it, basically what I'm trying to say is... You have, I feel like you have more options or, or more choices, more variety of, of excursions in Alaska maybe than other places in the world, just simply because of the nature of these tours. But it's always a good idea to book early. So, you know, if, if you're usually used to booking closer in, you can still do that. But if there's a tour that really stands out to you, like, ooh, that sounds like an amazing tour, I don't want to pass that up, then obviously book early. Next question. This will be on our cruise over the 4th of July, and in the morning of the 4th, we'll be at a glacier from 1 to 9 p.m. in June. Are you aware of them doing any kind of 4th of July celebrations on board? Typically, when Royal Caribbean does 4th of July, I've sailed on 4th of July, there'll be some celebrations on board, right? There will be patriotic decorations. There will be, like, you know, 4th of July trivia. There might be some special cocktails being offered at bars. That's about it. I remember on Majesty of the Seas, when we went to Cuba over July 4th, there was a barbecue up on the pool deck. But, I mean, so, yeah, there's some decorations. There's some special, like, you know, events like... um a particular uh, trivia event or, or thing. You're going on ovation to the sea, so I'm going to guess there's also going to be a virtual fireworks ceremony in 270. But, you know, so yes, we'll do some stuff on board. And last question. One of the kids will just have turned 18 and was concerned that he would not be allowed in the teen activity rooms as his brother, 14, and sister, 16, will be there. Do they strictly enforce the age limit of 17? Again, thank you for so much for the information to provide to all your listeners. So if the 18-year-old is already 18 when you get on board the ship, the answer is no, they're not allowed in the teen room. The teen club is only for kids up to 17 years old, so it's pretty cut and dry on that. So yes, they do enforce the age limit of 17. Thank you, Renee, for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Of course, you can always email me your questions by sending them to matt, M-A-C-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.